Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is brought to our church by Micah Bosworth, who pastors Ridgepoint Baptist Church in Wenatchee, Washington. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. All right, 2 Timothy, if you want to start turning there, 2 Timothy chapter number 2 is where we're going to start from. 2 Timothy chapter number 2 is where we'll start. And if you notice, tonight there's only one blank. I mean, there's some lines for us to write some stuff in on the introduction if you want to. And then uh, what we're going to do in kind of a conversation time together to put this to practice at the end, uh, there's a bunch of lines there as well for when we're practicing this step. But there's one there's one blank, so did you get one? All right, Second Timothy, chapter number two. Second Timothy, chapter number two. All right, we're just going to read two verses to. Uh, Leah is a foundation of what we're going to be talking about really to today and next week. Um, of course, the last two weeks, we've kind of given an overview of Scripture, right? The first week, we talked about how uh, it's not most essentially or primarily a self-help book or a book of instruction on moral behavior or uh, uh, it's not even primarily about you and what you should be doing. Although uh, the Bible is profitable in all of those ways, it's primarily a story and, uh, and it's a redemptive narrative uh, that all points to in the Old Testament, points to salvation in Jesus. And then the New Testament, uh, we looked at last week, reveals Jesus and, uh, and really unpacks the implications of the gospel in our everyday life. And we even broke down some of the uh, big parts. You know, there's history and there's uh, poetry and wisdom and there's uh, the prophets, which uh, can be a little hard to understand at times, but there's the prophets and there's Jesus with the Gospels and the book of Acts, and we unpacked a lot of that last week. And so today and next week, what I really want to do is, is give us uh, a how-to study the Bible, and I, I want to make a clarification. I'll probably say this at, because I know it's in my notes at least once, maybe twice. I want to make a clarification that what we're going to be going over even tonight and next week is not necessarily something that uh, is expected from God or from anyone in the church that you have to do every single day when you read your Bible. Uh, However, what we're going to go over, uh, I I believe, will, uh, will make it to where we naturally and subconsciously read our Bible like this. And it'll help us when we read the Bible each and every day. And so uh, 2 Timothy chapter number 2. Let's read those two verses, verse 14 and 15, and then we'll uh, dive into the study for tonight. So the Bible says this. Paul writing to Timothy says, Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Uh, Talking a little bit about uh, some, some things that people can really get into the nitty-gritty of that have no profit and actually subvert or destroy the hearers, the people who are listening to it. Uh, on the flip side, he says this, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
Uh, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Let's go ahead and just, before we get too far into it, let's ask God to bless this time. Let's go to him in prayer, and then we'll dive right into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you again for the time we have to be together and to be able to look into your word and, Lord, be able to grow from it. Uh, It is truly where growth, spiritual growth, Lord, comes from. It is our necessary food. It is the milk. It is uh, so many things, the meat, Lord, for us to be able to grow spiritually and, uh, Lord, ultimately grow more in love with you and, uh, Lord, learn more about you. And so we know it's important and we've gone through that, but Lord, would you help us uh, tonight as we look into how to how to view your word and how to study it? Would you help us to, to hold on to something, uh, to take something and to apply it uh, that will just continue that growth uh, from you in our everyday life? We love you. We thank you for this time we have together. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We, uh, pastor said it this way before, and I've, I've said it this way before, but the reason it is so important for us to be in the word of God and to understand it and to know it is because truly, uh, the spirit of God, it's said this way often, the spirit of God makes the, takes the word of God to make the child of God more like the son of God. Uh, really the sanctification process that takes place in our life, uh, all happens because the spirit moving and what Jesus said the spirit would do, the comforter would do, would be guide us in all truth. Uh, so the, the spirit guides us into his word. Really, we can't even understand scripture truly without the spirit. Uh, it's written in the word that says that. And so it's the spirit of God taking the word of God and making us the children of God more like Jesus, our savior, the son of God. And so uh, it is so important for us. And like I said, the last two weeks, we were really just given an overview of the Bible and what it is most essentially, how it's organized for us. And uh, I really feel like in a, in a sense, I beat a dead horse on the Bible is a story, right? I said that multiple times uh, and it's given to us in a lot of different ways through history, poetry, prophecy. There are just so many nuances to the story, but it is such a beautiful story and it is such a life changing story. Now I'm going to change microphones real quick. Okay. Is it on? There we go. All right. It's just so much easier to not have to hold a mic. All right. So uh, it's good to know that. Okay. It's good to know the overview story and the big parts of scripture. But in our everyday living, we aren't reading the Bible in its entirety, right? Like who woke up this morning and read the Bible in its entirety? Anybody today? No? No? Liar. All right. Yeah, right. Yeah. No. But, but, but many of us, if not all of us in here, okay, we did most likely read a portion of Scripture today, right? Uh, and, and that portion of Scripture has implications to or from the gospel, uh, and the gospel story, and it has implications for our lives today. And the Word of God should impact us, okay? We've talked about that a little bit, but as we read it, as we hear it taught, and as, we, as it's preached, as we meditate on it, it should shape us and mold us. Uh, God's word, it should impact us specifically in three ways. It should impact us intellectually. Uh, that means in our mind, we should learn new information, okay? When we read this, the word and are, hear it taught and preached, it should impact us intellectually. 
Uh, number two, it should impact us emotionally. Uh, it should, it, when we come face to face with truth, it should impact our emotions. Uh, and it should change us, uh, impact us volitionally or with our will. Uh, our, our thinking, our thinking, okay, our heart uh, uh, and our will, they, those things should change. And therefore, if those things change, our lives change. Uh, it, is, it is healthy that truth stirs us intellectually and, and emotionally. Now, preachers shouldn't manufacture emotion, okay? I've been in services like that, that the preacher just gets up and, and you know, just manufactures emotion, and there's really not much truth to it, but everyone got real excited about what he was saying. Uh, we, that, that shouldn't be the case, okay? Uh, but, but at the same time, not let, let's not be so stoic that we're never moved emotionally, uh, emotion moves us to response, okay? Information educates us, but God's truth, it inspires us. Uh, when, when you're informed, when you learn new information, you sit there going, hmm, that's interesting. And then, and then you walk away uh, really chewing on what you heard, uh, but there's not much change that takes place. Your mind is just kind of chewing on information, uh, and if that's the only way that the, the Bible impacts you is intellectually growing in information, uh, then, then your head gets big and your, your, uh, the Bible says knowledge puffeth up, okay? You, you start to think, Man, I know all this stuff, okay? And, and that's what knowledge does if that's the only way it impacts us. But when the truth of God moves from our head to our heart, uh, when, when, the, when it does that, it shapes our emotion and, and it inspires a response. And, uh, and that changes you, and, and that changes others, and that changes, that changes the world. That's how, that's how this thing goes nuclear, okay, is when uh, we allow God's word to impact us both intellectually and emotionally, that will inspire a response to actually do something with the word of God and with the gospel. And it is uh, the word of God interacting with those things uh, that, that motivate us to an act of will, that I'm going to do the truth not just know the truth, but I'm going to do it and communicate the truth. So how does that take place in our life? Uh, how does the Bible impact us in those ways? Well, we study it. Uh, we get into it, okay? When, when we're diligent with the Word of God, it will impact us in these ways. Uh, I, I looked in in that verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 specifically, study to show thyself approved unto God. And as I was, you know, taking apart words, as you do as a preacher, you, you go and you take apart every word and go to the Greek and figure out what every word it could have been translated as uh, in the Greek and, and then figure out what does this verse mean with all the implications of that. And as I went through it, one of the things I also do, and we'll talk about this a little bit next week, is to help me understand it, I, I kind of paraphrase that verse in my own, what, how it makes sense to me. And so this is my paraphrasing, okay? So don't be like, whoa, this is what the Bible exactly 100% word for word says, okay? This is not a word for word translation. I can't read Greek, okay? I, I trust other people reading Greek to tell me what the Greek says, so then I can, uh, you know, go through, like, with Strong's Concordance and different things like that, okay? Uh, but, but after doing all that study, this is really what the, this verse is saying, okay? It's saying, be diligent, okay, give diligence to be faithful to the Lord through testings, okay, that's what that approved means, that you're tried. Be fa uh, give diligence to be faithful to the Lord through testings by understanding and applying the word of God the way it was intended, okay, rightly dividing the word of truth, understanding 
and, and applying the word of God the way it was intended. Uh, because the Bible, this is an important statement, the Bible cannot mean something for us today, something that it did not mean to the original recipients of the letters. It cannot. Uh, now, it can have different applications in the sense that we live in a different world than they did, okay? But, but the interpretation, what, what it's saying, has to mean the same for us that it did for them. Uh, and that's, that's why it's important to study it. So we, so we know what it means and, and the, that the, me, the method we're going to go through uh, that kind of teaches us how to know what the Bible is saying, uh, it's, it's simply called this inductive Bible study, okay? And because uh, the Bible, it includes, it includes words of information, declaration, exhortation, persuasion, conversation, all of those things, okay? It, it, it includes all of that, and inductive Bible study helps us to separate between those and understand what did this mean originally and what was God's original intent from the original author to the original recipients. And then from there, we then apply it to our own lives, okay? And application, that's going to be the last one we touch on next week, the application comes after an understanding of the passage, okay? Uh, so inductive Bible studying uh, is really this. You look at the Bible, examine it for what it is, and draw conclusions based upon that truth, its truth. Uh, now, the opposite of this would be to take a truth of your own and then find a verse that goes with it, okay? So what we're going to talk about is drawing the truth out of Scripture. The big word for that is exegesis, okay? Uh, as opposed to putting your own truth into Scripture, which is called eisegesis. That is always wrong, okay? We don't put our truth into what Scripture is. Uh, that's, that's what is called liberal thinking. Liberalism in Christianity is a lot of, this is what I believe and my worldview, and I'm going to make the Bible say that. We don't approach Scripture that way. We see what it says and then base our worldview and our beliefs off of that. And so we're going to go through it. An example of Bad Bible study. I, I, I cringe to even say these words because someone's going to be scrolling on Facebook right now, click on the live stream, only hear the words that I'm about to say, and be like, what do they teach at that church? So I cringe to even say these words, okay? But a bad way of coming at Scripture, and we talked about it a little bit last week where if you ever hear a pastor coming at Scripture with what they think, and they say more of I think than what the Bible says, you should probably be very leery of it. If a pastor, if I'm, I as a pastor was going to say, this is my truth, okay? We're going to do everything my way. No one should question me or else God will judge you, okay? That's my thought process. Like, that's what I come up with. And, uh, and again, I'm being facetious. I'm, I, that's not what, where I stand, okay? But if I wanted to say that's my truth, where in the Bible can I preach that from? I could go to Philippians 3.17 where Paul says, be ye followers of me. And there's more to that verse, but I could just stop it there, okay? And be like, all right, the Bible says, be followers of me. And everything that I say and I do, you should follow that. And that's the right thing to do. And the Bible says that those who know to do right and doeth it not to them, it is sin. Be sure your sin will find you out, okay? Are all those verses in the Bible? Yes, do any of them mean what I'm telling it to mean? No, okay? So that's, that's a very ridiculous, but it is a, 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 that's an example of bad Bible study, okay? We don't come up with our own truth or our worldview and then impose it on the Bible, okay? We, 
<laughs> yeah. So we, uh, so we, anyways, we come to the Bible for what it says, okay? And we come, uh, because the Bible is the ultimate authority, okay? Biblical authority is, is where it stands. Uh, not, not what somebody says the Bible says, not what some group or denomination filters the Bible to mean, uh, but what the Bible says in its original historical context by its human and divine author, okay, by God and by the human penman uh, to the people it was written to and why. And then what does that mean for me? So I observe and then I conclude. I understand it and I apply it, and then I respond to it. And really, inductive Bible study asks these questions. What is the Bible saying? What does it mean? And then how should I respond? Okay, so tonight we're really just going to look at what is it saying? Like, what's even involved in it? And step one uh, of the Bible study process is called this, observation. Okay, observation. So that's your only blank right there on the handout is observation, okay? Now, I do want to clarify also this, that there is definitely a process and a form that we're going to be walking through, but the best thing that you can do in your everyday Bible reading, in your approach to Scripture, the best thing you can do is just avail your heart to God while reading His Word, okay? Don't get spooked by the fact that we're like, this is how you study the Bible, and like, oh, no, I'm not doing it right. Like, don't, don't let this spook you because God knows your heart, okay? And God uh, God has given us this book. It is a living book that uh, God wants to use to shape you and to grow you and to teach you with. And so the best thing you can do is just avail your heart to him every time you come to the word. That's why when, when I do my Bible reading, I pray first and I say, God, speak to me. I, I just, I want to open my heart, my mind to whatever you speak to me about in your word and, and avail my heart to him. And I'm, I'm, I'll, gladly admit that I don't go through this in-depth study process every single day in my Bible reading, okay? But as we go through this, it'll help us to naturally read the Word of God, first observing it. What does it say? Uh, how does that, what does that mean? And then how do I respond to it? And so the first step is observation. Uh, there are some key questions, okay, that we should ask that help us to just see things when we study, uh, some key questions that we should ask. Something that we should look at when we uh, get to a passage is, what are the key words of this text? Okay, what are the key words of this text? You see a word like therefore or wherefore. It's always said, if you see a therefore, you got to see what is therefore, okay? The reason is, the word therefore is a transitional statement saying, something that was said before is what I'm about to say hinges upon, okay? So we need to notice those kinds of words. The, uh, the word but, when we see that word there and it says, you know, the wages of sin is death. Okay, whoa, that's weighty. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So notice some key words, some transitional words as we go through that help us to, to see what this passage means and, and what is it saying. So uh, what are the key words of this text? Look at some of those. Number two, who are the people involved? Okay, when you, when you open the, uh, uh, your, Bible, your Bible to wherever you're reading, Think about who are the recipients of this. So if you're looking at the book of 1 Corinthians, who, who is the book of 1 Corinthians written to? The church at Corinth, right? The Corinthian believers there, okay? Uh, we're in 2 Timothy, okay? Who was the book of Timothy written to? Timothy, right? Okay, so uh, think about who are the recipients? Who's, who's getting this? Who are the people involved? Who's the author of this book? 
Okay, uh, that'll help us. When we're in 2 Timothy here, we need to know it's Paul writing to Timothy. Why is that important to know? Well, because if we know the book of Acts, uh, Timothy joined the missionary journey, um, the second one, with Paul, and he was kind of a, a, a son in the faith is what uh, Paul called him. And he, so, so now we see that relationship there, and it helps us to understand even more of why he's saying some of the things that he's saying. Why is he able to be a little more forward with Timothy than maybe he would be even some of just the uh, the believers at a church, well, because he has a closer relationship with Timothy and he can say some of those things uh, and be more personal. And so who are the recipients? Who's, who's getting this? Who's the author? Uh, who are the key players or characters? If you're reading a story, one of the narratives, you go through the book of Esther, I think. Uh, who, who's all in this story? There's, there's Naaman and there's, uh, and there, is it Naaman or Haman? Haman? Haman. Okay, yeah. Naaman's the leper right? Okay, yeah. Haman, there's Haman, there's the king, Ahasuerus or Xerxes, okay? There's, uh, there's Esther, you, there's Mordecai. You, you see who's in the story, okay? Who are the key players and the key characters of them? Who are they? When, when in history did they live? Um, where, where did they live? That, that can help you also to know uh, if you're in the book of Acts and you're reading about people in Jerusalem, then you know there's a huge Jewish influence on everything that they're talking about and saying. Whereas when you uh, talk about the people in Philippi in Acts chapter 16, that's a completely different story. There's no synagogue there or anything like that. And so who are the, where are these people from? And, and, and again, this is a little in-depth, but think about some of these things. Who, who am I reading about? Who's in the story? Where are they from? What, where do they live? Um, and all of those. Number three, what terms need to be defined? So when I go through the Bible, are there some words I don't understand? Uh, mark them. Go look up in a dictionary. If, if you have a Strong's Concordance and want to go back and look at the Greek word, you could, uh, and, and see what the original uh, language said and what it could also mean. And it, sometimes that clarifies even a little bit more of what the word is. And, and we'll, we'll do some of this. And just, I'm, I'm leading all this to say, let's do this together, okay? So we're going to do that at the end. Uh, but what are some terms that need to be fine? Are there words that I don't understand? Or are there words that seem to mean something different from what I think they mean. That happens a lot in Scripture where I, I read a word and I'm like, I thought I knew what that word meant, but reading it in that verse, it, does, it does, definitely does not mean what I know that word to mean, okay? And so I have to look up, well, what did that word mean uh, in, in the Greek? And, and how do I look it up and figure that out? So uh, what are some terms that need to be defined or looked up? Uh, and then number four, what geography is involved? What cities are we looking at? Not just looking at who's in the story, but where are they in the story? I think of, uh, the, Phil, uh, I think it's Philip in Acts chapter number eight. I'm going to use a lot of uh, examples from the book of Acts because I've just been preaching through Acts, okay, over in Wenatchee, and so I just it's fresh on my mind. But Acts chapter eight, Philip, he, uh, in, when everyone's scattered, he ends up in Samaria, and then he ends up going all the way into the wilderness and meeting the Ethiopian eunuch. So realizing, oh, he's no longer up in Samaria. Where is he? Okay, well, we find out he's more so closer to the Gaza Strip, heading to Egypt, uh, which is where, where the Ethiopian would have been heading back to home. Okay, so uh, where, where are the cities in this passage? What cities are we talking about? What regions are we in? Uh, does it tell us what people live there? Uh, what are some key things about this place? So when we're reading about... Uh, about what took place in Caesarea uh, with, with uh, Cornelius in the book of Acts. When we read that, what, 
what else was going on in Caesarea? Okay, where is Caesarea? Do I know that there's actually two Caesareas? There's one by the sea, and there's one called Caesarea Philippi. Do I know that? And, and so learning a little bit about the places that I'm reading um, and, and noticing them, and, and especially if you're reading through the Gospels, it, it'll, it'll just like bounce from place to place to place where Jesus is here, and then he's here, and then he's in Perea, and then he's back in Jerusalem, and then he's up in Capernaum, and then he's in Galilee, and now he's in Decapolis. Where's Decapolis? And you know, all of this, like, what in the world? But noticing, okay, he's not in the same place anymore, so he's not talking to the same people anymore. What, what's different about the place he's in now? So noticing what geography is involved. And then number five, what is the context? So when you're reading a passage, it's good to know uh, in the flow of the text what uh, the context is. So if you're, if you're reading Romans chapter 6, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, you're reading that verse. What context does that in? Well, if you go to the very beginning of the chapter, it says, uh, what then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And he's talking about being dead to sin and the grace that's there. And grace much more abounds. But does that mean we just live because of grace in our sin and just say, well, I'll sin more so I get more grace? No. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. Okay? Like that, thinking about the flow of the context that it's in, in the text itself. Think about the context of that verse in the paragraph that it's in. Uh, think about the context of that paragraph in the chapter or the section that it's in. Uh, think about the context of that chapter in the entire book that it's in. Think about uh, the context of that book in the entirety of Scripture. Okay, why, what is the book of Romans? Okay, well, that's a, that's a book that Paul wrote to the Romans that he said, I want to come to you, but I can't, so here's a letter. Okay, he says that in Romans chapter 1. And so uh, understanding uh, the context there of, of what you're reading and again, this isn't something we do. Like, I'm not going to go through all these steps every single day. I'm just telling you, I don't have the time. I have to study for messages that have to be preached, okay? So that, that, I'm saying this isn't something we do every day. But if we have these questions in our mind, as we read the Bible, we're going to naturally say, oh, hey, we're talking about Philip now. Hey, he's in Caesarea. Hey, he's in, and we're going to just notice these things. So it's some things to notice, okay? So uh, those are some questions, some key questions to ask. Uh, some, some things to look for. Okay, this is, not, uh, my, this is not a list I came up with. This is one I found, but I, uh, I'll kind of go off of what they said a little bit. I believe this is a guy named Hendricks uh, that writes some really good books on teaching and things like that. But he's, he says, here's some things to look for in Scripture, okay? First of all, things that are emphasized. Things that are emphasized. So how do we look for things that are emphasized? Well, the amount of space given to a subject, emphasizes some things. Uh, I think of Acts chapter 10 and 11, okay? If you read Acts chapter 10 and 11, it's like repeating itself over and over and over. And what is Acts chapter 10 and 11? Well, Acts chapter 10 and 11 is Cornelius, okay, has this, uh, has, is told by God, send people to this house, to a specific place, and there's this guy named Peter who's going to be there and tell you the way of salvation, okay, tell you some words. And then it tells us that Peter, while he was there, saw a vision, and the sheet came down, and he says, I can't eat this, Lord. Like, the Lord says, take and eat. And he's like, no, Lord, okay, which is an oxymoron. Like, no, but you're my Savior, okay. But uh, anyways, he's like, no, I can't do this. Nothing unclean has ever touched my lips. And he goes through that, and then he ends up with Cornelius in his house. He eventually, long story short, gets there, shares the gospel with them. But before he does that, he says, Cornelius, why, why am I here? 
And then Cornelius tells him everything we already read at the beginning of chapter 10, tells him all of that, and then Peter goes, well, then I know what to tell you, and he tells the gospel. And then Acts chapter 11, he gets back to Jerusalem, and people are like, what have you been doing with Gentiles? And then Peter, again, goes through literally almost word for word in some parts everything we just read in chapter 10. Okay, what does that tell us? This is emphasized. Why did the Holy Spirit have Luke write this story basically three or four times in the matter of two chapters? Well, it could have, it, it could have easily been consolidated, especially when you look at the book of Acts and all the events of the early church that were consolidated by Luke. Why? Well, this is, think about it. This is Acts chapter 10 and 11. That's when the gospel is breaking out of Jewish culture and into Gentile culture. Uh, salvation is now not just for the Jews, which it never was just for the Jews, but this is when it's finally breaking out where people realize, oh, it's not just for the Jews. It's, it's for the entire world. And so that, there's emphasis there. We need to realize, man, why, why did we just read two whole chapters of like the same thing? Well, that's emphasis, okay? Look for things that are emphasized. The first 11 chapters of Genesis, they cover a huge implications, the creation of man, the fall, the flood, like everything just happens, happens, happens. And then all of a sudden you get to chapter, uh, the rest of the 39 uh, chapters of it, and it all is on one family. Now, four individuals, there's Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob and Joseph, you know, it goes through, uh, through those specific people and, and keys in on them, but it's one family, so 39 chapters of one book is about one family. Why? That's an emphasis we should look at. Why? Because this is the family that God was going to, through all the nations of the earth, we're going to be blessed through this family. And so why is there emphasis there? Notice some things like that in the book of Ephesians. And I think of the first three whole chapters talk about the gospel. And chapters four through six is the implications of how that's lived out. Well, why are there three whole chapters that talk about the gospel? That's emphasis, okay? So look for things that are emphasized. Sometimes the amount of space given to a subject is how it's emphasized. And uh, sometimes a stated purpose gives emphasis. So what I mean by that is the author says, you should know this, okay? I think of the book of John and how John says, I have written this, okay? So that, I'll, I'm paraphrasing, but so that anyone who reads the book of John can know Jesus is the son of God. When he says that statement, you should be like, Everything I read in the book of John now, should, I should know. He's emphasizing everything that shows us he is the Son of God. I think of 1 John. John says, I've written these things that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Okay, well, now every time I read the book of 1 John, now that I know that, okay, I'm going to look for everything that emphasizes that I can know I have eternal life. Okay, so sometimes they just flat out say, this is why I'm writing this book. Okay, that's emphasis. We should look for that. Uh, the order or the strategic placement of events. Uh, when you look through uh, Jesus's life, it, it, there's his baptism, which comes before his temptation, which comes before his earthly ministry. Okay, so uh, there's some emphasis on specific events that lead into his ministry. And uh, his examination, uh, at the end of his life, he has an examination that precedes the trial, that precedes his crucifixion. Why? Well, the theological implications, really, if you want to break it down all the way, is that the sacrifices, okay, had to be examined before they were given. And so uh, Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, in a picture there, he's, he's being examined in a way by the Pharisees. And they, they don't like what they're seeing, obviously. They end up killing him for it, but he's being examined and, and put on trial before even uh, he is 
proven to be a clean sacrifice, okay? And so uh, then he is ultimately sacrificed for us, but there's some, there's some implications of why he emphasizes some of those things instead of just telling us that Jesus was crucified, buried, and rose again, okay? There's a process there, and there's some emphasis there leading in those events. Uh, so we should look for things that are emphasized. Sometimes the amount of space that's given tells us the emphasis of it. Sometimes it's specifically told why it's emphasized that way or what the purpose is, but we should look for those. And then number two, we should look for things that are repeated, things that are repeated. Maybe you'll see terms or phrases or clauses that are repeated. Uh, they, show, they show context. They show value and priority sometimes to the passage. Uh, think of when you read and you see that a specific name keeps coming up, okay? You should realize that when, when you read the book of Acts, uh, why is it that like you're introduced to Barnabas in chapter 8, but then he doesn't come back until chapter 9, toward the end of chapter 9 when he's bringing in uh, Saul, and then uh, he doesn't come in again until later when he's now preaching in Antioch, and then he's on the first missionary journey. Like, why does his name keep coming up? Oh, he's a key player. Okay, why do, why do they keep mentioning this person? It, it seems out of place. Well, maybe he's mentioning that because he's about to be a big person uh, in the story. And so characters that are repeatedly mentioned and brought up. Uh, instances or circumstances that are repeated uh, show or, or show similar events. I think of uh, like in the Gospels, there are some Gospels that tell the same stories, uh, especially if you look at Matthew and Luke and Mark, the synoptic Gospels is what they are called, this synop, like same looking, okay, that, that you're looking at the same kind of stories. A lot of those fit in, and then John just did his own thing, but there's a couple of stories in John that line up with some of the other Gospels as well that, uh, that it gives us uh, more context to see the, the instances and the circumstances that are being told in the same story, but, but different uh, details. You know, I think of even when you look at uh, after the feeding of the 5,000 and they're on the water and uh, Peter walks on the water and that all takes place. If you read all, all three accounts in the gospels of that event, then you're going to find out what time of day it was. You're going to find out that the disciples didn't just go out in a storm, like Jesus sent them out, okay? And that doesn't, it doesn't say that in every single account, but you find that out in one account. You find out in another account that Jesus saw them the entire time. It says that Jesus was up and he looked down and saw them in the storm before he went out to them, okay? So looking at the different stories, uh, the same story, but different accounts of it uh, also help us to see some things that are repeated and some things that are different, uh, which we'll, I'll talk about in a little bit, things that are uh, different. But the Old Testament being quoted in the New Testament, okay? Why is, it re- being re- why is something in the Old Testament being repeated in the New Testament? I think of the book of Hebrews. Uh, it, it consistently says, this is what we did in the Old Testament law, and here's how Jesus is better, okay? Why does he repeat, why does he tell us about things that are in the Old Testament? Well, because he's trying to point us to the fact that Jesus is a fulfillment of those things and better uh, than those things. I think of Psalm 119, things that are repeated. You want a, a good example of things that are repeated, go to Psalm 119. The theme of that chapter is in every single verse. It's the word of God. Okay? Every single verse that's something that says the statutes, the law, the commandments of the Lord. So many references to scripture. Psalm 119 uh, repeats very much so what it is about. So we need to look for things that are repeated. Look from, for things that are related. Number three, look for things that are related. Movement from general to specific. Uh, look for questions and answer, answers. You see the question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Okay, in chapter six. And really, 
he answers that very quickly. He says, God forbid, okay? But really, the rest of chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8 all unpack for us uh, that, no, we shouldn't continue in sin, that grace may abound. In Job, God asks Job a series of rhetorical questions, and there were no answers from Job for them, but they were meant to teach him, but uh, seeing things that are related, questions and answers, well, uh, questions or no answers. Why, why did he ask questions that Job had no answer to? And it'll help us to see that. What things that are related, movement from general to specific, like God created, and then all of a sudden the very specifics of God created or, uh, or looking for questions and answers, looking for cause and effect. Luke, or Acts chapter number eight, there was persecution from Stephen being stoned and that took place and and it ended up everyone, all the Christians were scattered. And later in the book, we find that some of those scattered shared the gospel in a place called Antioch in Syria. And Paul and Barnabas ended up, uh, and Silas, all served in the church at Antioch and were sent out as missionaries. And that is, uh, the, the gospel got to Europe and eventually to the whole world. And now we have the gospel. Well, how do we get the gospel? Well, because all the way back in Acts chapter number eight, some people suffered persecution and it scattered them. Okay, so cause persecution effect. We have the gospel, okay? So looking at cause and effect, things that are related in that way. Things that are alike, number four, things that are alike. Specifically with like similes and metaphors. Uh, I think of some similes in the Bible that says, as the deer, you know, pants for the water, so my soul longeth after thee, O God. Uh, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. So there are some Uh, metaphors and similes there, metaphors like I am the vine, and then Jesus Jesus isn't literally a vine. There's a metaphor there that he is the vine. We are the branches, and we get our life from him, and uh, all all of those things. So things that are alike in in similes and uh, metaphors, things that are unlike. Uh, Look for words like but, okay? So the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a contrast there. So things that are not alike, uh, I think of uh, negative metaphors, that things that are not alike sometimes uh, give emphasis to us, like the unjust judge and the widow. Some people think, as they read the, the parable of the unjust judge and the widow, that, well, that's what God's like, and I'm annoying him when I come to him. But no, God is saying uh, in that story, if this wicked judge would give in to someone he doesn't have any use for, How much more would an awesome and loving and heavenly father help those that he does care for? Would an earth, uh, I think of when he says, would an an earthly father give his kid a stone or a scorpion if they were asking for food? Well, no. But how much more would your heavenly father give to those who ask of him? So negative metaphors sometimes help us to see. Uh, Look for irony in in the story. Things that are unlike, look for irony. Things like an outcome that, uh, you wouldn't necessarily expect uh, Jesus. He travels through a huge crowd of people and, and feels the touch of one lady. Okay, they're, uh, they're, that's not. I didn't expect that. And then even the even the disciples were like, "What do you mean someone touched you? Like uh, that's not that's not something that you expect to see in the story." But he he turns and says, "Hey, someone touched me." And there's a whole implication there because of that. I think of. Uh, Philip, again, in Samaria in Acts chapter 8 and seeing a great revival and the Spirit calls him to go out into the desert uh, from that revival to witness to one man, okay? The, the contrast there of there's this revival taking place. Why would you want to leave that? Because God has one man, an Ethiopian eunuch that uh, through ch- some church history seems to uh, 
implicate that he started some churches in Africa because of it. And, uh, and because of one man, God wanted to send Philip there. And, but there's a contrast there, the, this great revival, but God wants to save one person. And so looking for that, things that are not alike, uh, things that are true to life. Well, what we mean by that in number six, things that are true to life is what does the text tell us about life experience? So uh, I don't want to take too much time to go through the whole story, but I think of the apostles, the apostle Paul, when he was Saul, when he got saved, and he uh, he ended up going and Ananias, a brother Saul, and uh, and his eyes, the scales came off his eyes, and he saw, uh, got his sight back from being blinded by uh, the light of Christ, and then he goes back to Jerusalem to to try to grow, and the people in Jerusalem, the Christians in Jerusalem don't want anything to do with him, right? And, uh, and Barnabas comes and, and takes him in and then tells the people, no, he's for real. I just heard his testimony. And, and man, all of a sudden he, he's like, okay, great. And they'll come with us to the synagogue. And then he's only there for two weeks and some things start happening where people want to kill him. And now he's, uh, he has to run and flee. They send him away to Tarsus, to his own town. And, and so when, I, when we say things that are true to life, think about how the life experience of that would feel. Sometimes we read through that kind of story and we're like, okay, he went here and then he went here and, and Barnabas took him in and then he went to Tarsus and then he ended up in Antioch. But think about how rejected, like life experience there. How, how would Saul have felt? Like, they don't even want me in Jerusalem. I love Jesus. I, I've been struggling with this for so long and he met me on the road to Damascus and his own followers don't even believe that I'm saved. What would that feel like? Think about the life experience. Think about things that are true to life as you read through the story. Uh, we see all of that. Again, it's easy to just read it without thinking about the human experience, uh, what it would have been like. And so as you're reading, play out the, the reality of that, that story when you're uh, reading and observing Scripture. So uh, those are some things we can and should look, look for, okay? But uh, let's get practical. And let's just walk through together a few passages, okay? Just a few passages. And, uh, and again, what we're going to go over and do together is not something we need to feel obligated to do every day. Uh, and uh, I don't know how many of these we'll have time for. I'm going to get a text from someone upstairs when they're done. But I have three on our, on our paper that we can go through. But the goal, again, of what we're doing these next few weeks is just that we would read the Bible, we'll subconsciously, naturally notice some things, that will help us more fully understand Scripture. So go to Genesis chapter 1, okay? Genesis chapter 1. Let's put some of this into practice. We'll be looking at our handout, asking ourselves some questions, and finding some words that maybe we don't understand, things like that. We're just going to observe the passages. We're not going to try to interpret them and apply them today. We're going to look at that next week, okay? Today, I just want us to get on the page where when we read through a passage, we, we notice some things, okay? So Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 26 through 31, okay? Probably help if I observe the same passage as you guys, right? <clears throat> Got there, Genesis chapter one, verse 26 through 31. I'll read it, read along with me, and maybe, maybe you'll notice some things. You wanna write them down in the uh, space that you have on your piece of paper, and then we'll talk about it a little bit, but it says, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. 
And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth up upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree, and the which is the fruit of the tree, yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat." And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Okay? So as, as you come to a passage like this, uh, naturally, we need to, we just observe some things. Think about some of the things we just go over. Uh, did you notice any words that were consistently repeated? And maybe we should, why is that repeated? Anyone notice any? Okay, yeah. Created is one I have written down, yeah. Yes, it did. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so we're introduced already to the fact that he created male and female, but we don't actually see that take place in the next chapter, Okay. So this is, this is one of those things that, wait, is this out of, out of order or is it something that we're generally being told that God's about to get specific about, right? Okay, so I love that. I, I noticed this word, the word over. You notice before every single uh, animal, it said over the, over the fowl and over the fish and over the, it's like he's emphasizing that we're God's greatest creation, okay? Yeah. Yeah, dominion said a couple of different times. I think of when, it's, when it says they're created a couple of times. Uh, it shows up three times in the verse 27. Uh, and there's also the word made in several parts of the passage. What is that telling us? God wants us very clearly to know we, we're not an accident. We are created by God. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. Okay, we are, we are created and made by God. That's, there's some emphasis there that it's said multiple times in just verse 27. He created man in his image. In the image of God, created he him. Wait, didn't he just say the same thing? Yeah. It's repeated. Yeah. Male and female, created he them. Okay, so he created us there, as we look at that. Yes, love this. We're going to look at this even next week a little bit when we... We've, again, I beat the dead horse, look for Jesus on every page, but that's a perfect example of when we read scripture. Where's Jesus in this? Well, he says, let us make man in our image. Is God schizophrenic? No. It's a reference to the Trinity. There's Jesus there. God the Father is saying to Jesus and to the Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image. Okay, it's a great observation as we read through that passage. Anything else? Fruit. Fruit, Yes. And specifically, one thing that threw me off is I, where I thought it was going to say fruit, and it didn't, is where it says this. At the end of verse 30, it says, I have given every green herb for meat. Now, wait a second. I, I don't know much about food, and I definitely am not a veggie eater. 100% I'm not a vegetarian, but I do know this. Vegetables are not meat, right? Okay, so to me, that's a word that I think I know what meat means. And from the context, it's easy to understand. Sometimes it, it is easy to understand. But what is meat? Okay, well, when it was translated, it's, it's the same word as food. That's what they used. Okay, meat was food. And so seeing that it just means food. One, one other observation, and then we'll move on to the next one. I noticed this at the end of it. And 
I cheated a little bit and read all the passage before this part of the passage that we read. But it consistently says these words, and the evening and the morning were the nth day, like the sixth day, the first day, all of that. Why does it say, normally we say morning, noon, and night, right? When we're talking about the day, why does it say the evening and the morning? Why does it say that way? That's kind of interesting. Well, when you, when you go through, yeah, when you study out, and especially if you go to Israel today, they still do this. Their days start at 6 p.m. at night and end 6 p.m. the next night. So their days are evening is what starts it and morning, okay? Even their Sabbath is 6 p.m. Friday night. That's when Saturday starts for them. And then they don't do anything. Still to this day, those who are practicing Judaism over there, they don't do anything from 6 p.m. Friday night all the way other than their normal worship and stuff like that that they do together. Uh, but till 6 p.m. Uh, on, on our Saturday night, okay? So evening and the morning were the first day. So just something interesting to observe. So as we go through these passages, we just observe some things. Go over now to Luke, Luke chapter 9, okay? Luke chapter 9. Again, we're not, we're not looking at this and be like, why does this apply to me, okay? Because first, we just got to understand. We got to understand. And one of the ways that we do that is by observing some things about the passage, So Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. So it says this. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Okay, so what are some things that we... We just notice from this passage. Yeah, okay, Jesus is there. He's talking. Yeah. Yeah. What? Yes, it does. It does repeat follow. Yeah. And following him, can't look back. Okay, so he says that. And then what, one thing I wrote down is this. Okay, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So does verse 62 mean that following Jesus means I got to go into farming? Is that what that means? No, so it's a metaphor, right? Okay, it's a, it's a pretty easy metaphor to see in Scripture, but it's just as we read Scripture. This should subconsciously happen to us. We're not going to look at it and be like, oh, got to quit my job and go be a farmer. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so we see, we see two people uh, come up with excuses, okay? And one, it seems that Jesus is, is trying to convince him not to follow him. The first one, he says, I'll go with you anywhere. And Jesus is like, well, I don't always have a place to sleep. Maybe that, that was this would-be disciple all of a sudden goes, oh, wait a second, what? Maybe I won't go with you wherever you go. You sleep where? I don't know where I always sleep. Well, yeah, maybe I'll rethink this, okay? It's almost like he's telling him, count the cost about this before you just say you're going to follow me wherever. One thing I also notice is two of them said to Jesus, I will follow you, okay? Whereas one of them, Jesus called him to follow him. The first one and the, the third one says, I will follow thee. Whereas the second one, Jesus said to the person, follow me. And then the guy gave his excuse, okay? Uh, it says, and it came to pass right at the beginning that as they went in the way, okay? So as they, who's they? If I'm just reading this portion of scripture, okay? Maybe I'm in a Bible reading plan and I'm just reading this portion of scripture. I need to remember what came right before this, okay? Well, they is Jesus and his disciples, okay? Well, what way are they going in? Well, if you read right beforehand, it says, verse 51, and it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Okay, so you, you look a little bit beforehand. That's also looking at the context. Okay, what we talked about, what's the context? Well, which way is he headed toward? He's headed toward Jerusalem. Okay, so they're on this way, and this man comes up and says, Lord, I'll go with you wherever you want to go. And he's like, well, I don't always know where I'm going to sleep. Foxes do. Birds do. They have a home. I don't necessarily have a home. The second guy says, uh, after Jesus says, follow me, he says, first let me go and bury my father. And verse 60 seems cold. <laughs> let the bed, dead bury their dead. You go and preach the kingdom of God. Like, whoa, God, <laughs> Jesus, his dad like just died. But did he? Okay, if I, if I read that, just reading it as it is, but if I observe, that seems a little cold. That seems a little out of character for Jesus to be like, who cares about your dad? Go preach. <laughs> that, that seems out of character. So maybe I should look that up and figure out that what he was actually saying is my dad hasn't died yet, but he's getting close to it. Okay? And if you know their burial process, it wasn't like a, they died, they put them in the ground, and pff, they're done. Burial process was like a year long. Okay? It was like they put them in a sepulcher. And then once they rotted all the way down to their bones, then they took the bones after a year and put them in a little ossuary box and then took that ossuary box and then put it into a little area. Okay, so there's, what he's really saying is, I'll follow you, but maybe just one day. Okay, after my dad's died, after I've gone through the whole process, after I, he hasn't died yet, but, and Jesus is like, excuses. Okay, so, so it seems cold, but maybe I should study that out and figure out what he's saying and why Jesus said it the way he did. He's not being cold. He's just saying, you're coming up with excuses to put off following me. Okay? And the last one, like I said, he, it's not, he's not saying, well, you got to go into farming. It's a metaphor that's saying, if you're going, if any farmer knows, if you're plowing, especially back then, they didn't have all this high-tech stuff we have nowadays, okay? It was like, yeah. Now, nowadays, you can almost just like hit a button and watch the tractor go on its own, okay? That's dumb. There's no work in that. But, um, no, I'm just kidding. I love farmers, and I'm so thankful for them because... I could not do that job. But, um, but especially back then, when, if, they, if they took their eyes off of plowing for, for a second, they turned back, all of a sudden they're not on a straight line anymore. I do that when I'm driving all the time, <laughs> especially with kids in the car. I'm like, hey, you do, <laughs> whoa. Right, okay? 
It's a metaphor, right? So then we, that's, we've, we already got into interpretation and applying. We're not supposed to do that yet, guys. Okay, not till next week. But how does that apply to me? Well, I remember when I'm driving and I hit the rumble strip. Okay, now I understand that metaphor. Now I understand what Jesus is saying. Okay, and so how do I apply it? Well, when I follow Jesus, stop going back. Okay, I told you we weren't supposed to get that far and, and apply it yet. But we observe some of these things. Okay, we look at these things and we observe it. Okay, let's look at one more. Okay, one more. One more and then we'll be done. First Corinthians chapter number 13. The love chapter. First Corinthians chapter number 13. Okay? Whew, there is a lot to observe in this one. Okay. First, first eight verses. I'm just going to read the first eight verses. First Corinthians 13 verses 1 through 8 says this. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I'm become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. Okay, so uh, I don't know if you're like me. When I was a kid and I first heard 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it was like, I was like the Grinch, holiday hoobie what Like what, what, just, what did you just read? Like what are all these words? There's a lot in there. Let's observe some of it. What do, what do you see? Maybe some words metaphors, some things you're like, what does that even mean? That you just jot down. What are some observations you have of this? Okay, talks about speaking in tongues of men and of angels, okay, is what he's saying. Now, do we believe in the context of Scripture that someone might just go and get slain in the spirit of, of speaking in an angelic tongue? Not, not necessarily. So what, what do we see there? Okay, we're seeing that he's using hyperbole or exaggeration, like, I could speak in the tongues of any man and angels. But if I don't have love, you know what I sound like? Sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Literally? No. Metaphorically. Okay, right? So we see a metaphor there. Sounding brass, tinkling cymbal. What, what's some other observations we see there? Okay. Yep. Yeah, my... I don't know anyone whose faith has actually moved a mountain. Jesus said if we had the faith of a mustard seed, we could move mountains, but has anyone ever actually done it? But he does have charity. Yeah, yeah. And I notice this. Notice this is one of my first observations I wrote down. Why, why is Paul naming off all these spiritual gifts? Why is he naming all these spiritual gifts off? Well, in the flow of the letter, what's chapter 12 about? Spiritual gifts, okay? And he gets to the end of chapter number 12, and he says this, covet earnestly the best gifts. So like, you should want spiritual gifts, okay? You should want the Spirit to give you ways to edify the church. You should want that. But I show you a more excellent way. Flow right into charity, love, okay? What's a more excellent way than all the spiritual gifts? Love. So why does he start chapter 13 the way he does with all the spiritual gifts? Even if I could speak all in tongues, and even if I could prophesy, and even if I could move mountains, and even if I could, 
If I don't have love, it means nothing. Okay, so why did he talk about all the spiritual gifts? That's something I observed. Well, in the context of it, it flows perfectly. What are some other things maybe you notice there? Anybody? What's that? Yep, the word not is consistently there. This is what charity does not do. Why does he keep saying not do? Well, because we a lot of times do those things, which means what? We're probably not loving the way we should. Yeah, okay. I noticed a couple of words that I had no clue, at least from the context, I could tell what they probably meant. But I've, have you ever heard someone use the word vaunt? V-A-U-N-T. Like, stop vaunting, Leo. Stop vaunting. Yeah, you're, sub, you're such a vaunter. You ever heard someone say something like that? No. no, so when I first looked at it, from the context, it says, vaunteth not itself is not puffed up. So in the context, I can say, okay, it probably means something about being uh, probably prideful. Okay, well, when you look at it, it means boasting. Yeah, bragging. Okay? So, yeah, so bragging about yourself and, and puffing up yourself. Okay? Um, behave unseemly. To act in an ugly way toward people. It doesn't do that. Okay? Easily provoked. Well, provoked to what? Because the Bible says we should provoke our children, okay, not like in the nursery and admonition of the Lord, but so there's a good way to provoke people. So provoke people to what? Well, if you look up the word provoke, especially if we look it up in the Greek, it means to provoke to anger. People who are loving are not consistently making people angry. Okay? So we see that. Bears all things. What does, he, what does that even mean? Bears all things? Well, if you look up the word bear, it means to cover or to conceal the faults or the errors of others. Okay? So, like, man, love covers the faults of... I don't see faults with every single person. Love just covers those in love. Okay? Bears all things. Believes all things. I believe the truth first about people. I don't, I'm not skeptical all the time if I'm truly loving. Okay? There, there's a lot, of, a lot of stuff. And it, I stopped at verse 8 because it gets even crazier with observations if you keep going like, now we know in part and we prophesy in part, but then we'll see God face to face, or then we'll see face to face like through a glass and there's all this stuff and then it ends with the greatest of these is charity, okay? So we could have ended with the last verse, but there's a lot to observe in it. And when I get to a passage like 1 Corinthians 13, those are the passages that maybe that day I do take a little bit more time in my Bible reading. What did I just read? There's so many. What does all this mean? Okay, maybe when I get to these passages, I do take a little bit more time observing some things so that I can interpret it and apply it. Whereas I might read some of the other passages we just read and just notice them. And, and naturally, I see what is in there and I interpret it and I apply it. But, but we need to come to a point where when we come to Scripture, uh, we, we observe first. We see what, it, what is there. Then we see what does that mean. And then we say, how do I respond to it, okay? That's what's important about this, okay? And I think I see people walking up there, so we should probably be done, okay? But, um, but uh, this is the first step, okay? First, seeing what the Bible says for itself. Next week, we're gonna look into then how, what are the rules of interpreting it, okay? And then applying it to our lives. And then I'll end the whole thing at the very end with some resources and stuff like that uh, that if you wanna look up, be a great resource for just everyday Bible study. Thank you for listening to this message. 
We hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.